I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Steve and I were on JKR Investing Show the other week. We were having a chat about all kinds of things to do with 2023, the way we think about investing, some stocks that we like the look of, all of that kind of thing that we we usually like sharing with you guys. But we had some different thoughts over there. It was really good to chat with Jacob. Uh, if you'd like to check out that, because this isn't enough of Steve and I for you, there's going to be a link downstairs. Check that out. Jake, uh, Jacob's channel is really good too. So have a look there for even more of the Playing Put Steve show. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. No Paul this week, but I've got Steve D with me. Before we get started, our man, uh, I think he's a man anyway, Sam Late, who shows up in our comments, has taken and passed the exam for his, I'm going to keep saying his, first financial planning module. Steve, do you have a nice sound effect? I do. Well done, Sam. <laughs> Congratulations to Sam. We're super pleased for you. Uh, just five more to go, but great job so far. Keep up the good work. We're about a week into the new year, meanwhile, and not a huge amount has happened apart from that. There's some news about Tesla, because there always is. Amazon and Salesforce have been firing some people, and earnings season is on the way. But how are you doing, Steve? Not too bad, Steve, to be honest. Um, I think it's been a... It's my first week back at work, so we had Monday off because of the bank holiday in lieu back on Tuesday. Um, it was one of those days, though, where nobody had actually said anything at work, so you know when you sort of, you're driving in, you kind of think to yourself, like, what if no one's here? Like, what if, like, I've got this wrong? But no, when I got there, I, to be fair, I got there at, like, 8.29 for an 8.30 start, and everyone was there, as you would expect. <laughs> uh, no parking spaces, no nothing. Um but yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's really tiring. I don't know what it is. It's, it feels like I've had like years off, and I'm like, I'm going back, and I'm and and I'm absolutely knackered. But uh, how's your first week at work been, Steve? Hasn't really yet. So we uh, haven't started term just yet. We're a couple of weeks away. We're in a kind of interesting stage at the moment where people are sort of tentatively bothering each other with emails. The kind of more enthusiastic people who want to stay on top of things and get ahead are getting on the case. There's still work to be done because this is a time of year for us when people who are going on to do graduate study and so on want references writing and the US schools in particular all have their kind of deadlines at the same time. So we're sending off loads and loads of stuff in support of student applications mm. for further study and that kind of thing. But it's a sort of gentle-ish start. But if you kind of expect a gentle start, it's full of annoying things that people keep bothering you with. If you think, ah, oh, there's nothing really happening, then we've got next week to get ready for the start of term and then term starts the week after. But yeah, it's been all right so far. I've been under the weather for the first part of it, but at least that hasn't been kind of devastating and put me behind yet. Yeah, you got your Christmas decorations down? Just about. They mostly came down today. We're recording this on the 5th. The tree is now outside down the side of the house looking actually all right. It's held up fairly well and it didn't completely 
fall to pieces when I took it out the front door, which they sometimes do, because normally what happens is I take them down, just knock them gently against the door frame, getting them on the way out, not on purpose, and then there's needles all over the floor. There's, mm. there's quite a few off, but considering we didn't really look after this one very much over the Christmas period, it's had a tough existence, our tree, uh, it's, it's managed to kind of hold up fairly well and, and not drop too many needles everywhere. Your, your background looks fairly... Uh, un-Christmasified, but it never looked that Christmassy anyway. No, to be fair, I'm in the man cave, so um, I don't actually have any Christmas decorations yet. I'm not a particularly Christmassy person, to be honest. I wouldn't have them up if it was up to me. But uh, one of the things we do we do do is in the uh, in the in the living room at the back behind me, um, we have a, a bit of a shuffle around for Christmas, so we move uh, bits and bobs, and uh, so we can get the the tree and. Uh, on this occasion, though, we've decided to move the sofa. The sofa's probably been in the same position since we moved in, so uh, it's been a it's been there a while. But uh, moving the sofa, we we managed to find that our uh, kitten has basically um, been stashing uh, licky lick wrappers behind there. So for the people who don't have cats, they're like essentially imagine a frube, what you put a yogurt, you know, a frube yogurt kind of uh, tube sort of container, and it's full of some kind of cat treat that they they lick up. Uh, and she likes to carry them around in their mouth and gets you to throw them and things like that and we thought that pretty much at the end of the day we were picking them up and putting them in the bin but it turns out that she'd get into the recycling bin so uh she's been getting them back out and obviously seeing that we've been putting them you know throwing them away she's been hiding them down the back of the sofa or un under the tv cabinet and under the bookcase so i didn't know that obviously that she could get in the bin at this point so I'd scoop them all up, and there was about 50, and put them straight back in the bin. And uh, I caught the little bugger fishing around in it about an hour later, getting them all back out again. So I've got a picture, I'll put it up for you. But this is her uh, caught, <laughs> caught red-handed, I guess. Yeah, it's a pretty guilty-looking cat, isn't it? There's not much you can mm. do from there. No, no, that is as guilty as, as you can get. Caught, yeah. red pod. Uh, your birthday's not for a while, of course, Steve, but I'm guessing top of your list then is a cat-proof recycling bin. It, yeah, because it's those sort of presents that you put on your list when you get to our kind of age, isn't it? That you think, mm. like, oh, like, I asked for a wheelbarrow this year for Christmas. And you think, <laughs> God, when did I? I remember laughing at my mum when I was like 15, 16, and I didn't know what to get her for Christmas, and she said to get her a toolbox. Oh, and um, now I get into the age kind of age, I think, I could really do with a toolbox. That would be really handy at Christmas. <laughs> I got a toolbox about two, three years ago. It's, it's getting there. It's about. I would say between 25 and 30% full. Uh, mm. Mostly the same thing, to be honest. Mostly it's full of those bits that you stick in, like screwdrivers that you can change the head on. Because mm. uh, I've got more than one of those, because I had a kind of manual one, and then someone gave me an electric one, so I've got bits for all of them, and that's most of what the contents of my toolbox is, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm the worst kind of, because I'm pretty decent at DOI because mm. of my job, I do quite a bit, but I'm the worst kind. Like, the minute I've pulled something out of a wall, or I've changed a screw, or something like that, it just... I get, it all gets chucked in the toolbox. So I'm one of those people who has like, got a full toolbox in there. I've got a full drill box. I've got another toolbox absolutely full of bits and pieces. It's just crap. And I have to rake through them to find anything. Like I never put the, the drill bits back in the in the drill case. So yeah, I'm permanently on the hunt for stuff. I'm, I'm the way. I'm just looking here. I've got a bit extender here just right next to me. That should be in the toolbox. So yeah, I'm the worst case. But anyway, let's move on, Steve. All right. Okay. So there's a bit been going on in markets this week. We're only about a week into the new year, so we're waiting for things to keep going. Earnings season is on its way. But there's a little bit of news out from US jobs, Steve. You were looking at this. What's been going on? 
Yeah, so um, yeah, this is private payroll growth. So um, ADP has come out today and reported uh, the expectation was that there'd be about 153,000 jobs added uh, as per the Dow Jones. But actually, it came in a lot stronger than that. It was 235,000 for the month, so uh, quite quite a bit over. Uh, it was uh, 213,000 added in leisure and hospitality. Um uh, private and business services grew by 52,000, education and health services 42,000, and then trade, transportation, utilities with a loss of 24,000, natural resources and mining declined by 14,000, and financial activities declined by 12,000. But that still adds up to a pretty hot looking uh, and already tight job market, Steve. So uh, was that a shock to you? It was a surprise to me, I think. I'm not sure I would call it a shock. I think when I think about the jobs number and I think about its significance right now, what I tend to think about is inflation because realistically more people in jobs, more people making money, more people spending money, less impact in bringing down inflation. But in fairness to the uh, Federal Reserve, inflation has been coming down in the US. It's been making its way down gradually. There's still quite a way to go yet. But this to me indicates or is just the, the slightest of indications that your New Year's prediction might go well here. I mean, could it be that we get a soft landing of inflation coming down while the job market remains kind of strong here and and things keep moving higher? That's the that's the plan in my brain. At least that's mm. how uh, it's strange. isn't it? I know these are lagging indicators because, um, you know, every, everything. Well, everything's a lagging indicator, really, in terms of uh, in terms of these kind of metrics. But. Uh, that's that's what I keep seeing. I, I see all the all the news that's telling me that there's this huge recession coming, and in my head, from what I've read and putting two and two together, that you should see this huge recession. But one of the key indicators is that this this jobs report should be coming in weak or on the estimates at least because the, the the estimate is that it would come in fairly soft, but but it's just not happening, and that's what's kind of. Um, it, that's what's kind of strange to me. And I, I listened to, um, I saw that the um, St. Louis Fed came out today. It was James um, James Bullard. And he said that uh, they, they think they're now at the inflection point where inflation is going to come below the rate of uh, the, the interest rate. And, um, you know, we know from listening to Druckenmiller, who is big macro, who says that once the interest rate gets in front of inflation, that's generally a good sign. That's 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 a sign for, you know, the genie uh, back in the uh, in the bottle. I said box last time for mixed metaphors. But mm. um, yes, yeah, so I, I think it all looks positive at the moment. And I sort of stand by my I don't see anything that, you know, that immediately screams to me that you know we're not going to get this soft landing uh but i just think it's one of those things i think it's on a knife edge still i don't think there's any there's no clear ground either way but this is it's a tip the scales towards my favor rather than the opposite way agree which is my way i was predicting a harder landing i was predicting a recession and making plans for a recession basically when i was setting out my predictions for 2023 i'm not quite sure the genie's back in the toothpaste tube just yet but what i would kind of suggest on this is that this is this is encouraging stuff and i viewed this kind of report i suppose from the u.s 
differently to how I would view it from the UK, where inflation doesn't seem to be coming down just yet. I would see this as more worrying stuff about inflation, jobs going up, inflation going up. How is this kind of tightening process doing anything in this situation? But I mean, if the Fed can pull this off or, or even nearly pull this off, um, I think that would be kind of nearly a miracle right and you'd have to give them a lot of credit for that maybe they need some luck along the way but you're allowed to be lucky and this is incredibly difficult to try and land if yeah if they manage this this puts this puts powell and his team in the sort of volker sort of levels of sort of fed notoriety i know volker was allowed to do what he had mm. you know he had to do that that's one of the one of the reasons he was we so revered, but he was allowed to do what you know. He was allowed to do what he had to do, essentially. But uh, I think this is, um, if they manage this, this is this is going to be crazy, crazy good for. It's, a, it's incredibly bullish for the strength of the American economy, which is something that we 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 really like, um, and we we utilize a lot of the stocks within it. I was just thinking that the run up to this, I think the market was kind of expecting a weaker jobs report because we had a bit of a rally in uh, a couple of days. Really, we've had a pretty good opening to the year, I would say. Today, it looks like the market doesn't really know what to make of it because the stocks have been uh, my stocks have been down as low as one one percent on my main portfolio. Um, then they climbed back up to about. 0.2 down and now they're dropping back down to 0.8 as I'm looking at it now. My Blitzscalers portfolio, the Capital Incinerator portfolio, that's actually down 3%, but that could happen for uh, any old reason, to be honest. So, <laughs> um, uh, it's interesting to me. It's really interesting. I don't, I don't really know what to make of it, but I think it's, it's going to be one of those things where if you do keep a investing journal or you just, even if you just take a few notes about what you've learned, you know, every day you learn something or every week. Um, this is going to be one of those crazy years that you're going to come back to in a few years and think, how on earth did he manage that? If they can pull it off, yeah. And they are mm. a step closer to managing it, in fairness. One thing you, I guess has been also breaking the news recently is that there are tech layoffs coming. I mean, there's tech layoffs that have been announced. I'm not sure whether that actually happened yet, but tech layoffs that are also on the way. I don't just mean Twitter here. I'm talking about Amazon announced their kind of layoffs are going to be bigger than expected. Salesforce announced that layoffs are coming, in, especially in Slack and also across the board, I think, a little bit from their uh, sort of stuff. Uh, do you think this will slow down the kind of rate of jobs added or...? And that's tricky, isn't it? I, the, I think the inflection point for me is <clears throat> when... Um, when com when when industry starts to cut people that that's what i'm worried mm. about. i'm not so worried about tech layoffs because i think tech has been in this crazy boom for the last probably 10 years where they've all, all well almost all of them overhired and i mean it was refreshing to see benioff come out really really early on and just kind of own that overhiring um he said you know straight away salesforce has overhired this isn't even up for debate Do you know what i mean salesforce has gone through a period of making huge acquisitions growing revenue you know from big numbers to bigger numbers at a rapid pace and and it's just hired far too many and people it doesn't need going into a longer sales cycle so it is only natural that these sort of sales and tech people will um you know will unfortunately be be let go but i was looking at there's a website it's called layoffs.fyi have mm. you ever had a look at that i haven't looked um, at it i've heard of it yeah, so that tracks uh, about a thousand tech companies in sort of the top VC slash top stock, uh, top um, 
American companies kind of um, sort of kind of ground. And at the moment, there are 154,000 uh, employees laid off in 2022 and a little bit of 2023 today. So uh, that's quite a lot. Um, that is, that is, um, you know, that, that's quite a lot of people losing their jobs. But I was interested to see that Amazon were adding to it as well. And I read a couple of reports off the back of it. And um, the 18,000 people being laid off at Amazon apparently is accretive to the bottom line to the tune of about 3.2 billion, I read, which is a huge amount of money. These are these are people being paid an awful, uh, an awful lot of money. And looking at Amazon people leaving the tech sector for Amazon and looking at the sort of people that are leaving Salesforce, it kind of makes me bullish for Salesforce's bottom line as well because... 10,000 people leaving Salesforce, 18,000 people lose, uh, leaving Amazon. I think Salesforce is probably getting rid of higher ranked people than Amazon seems to be getting. So I think it's, I can see why the market thinks it's a bullish sign. So in general, and this was true of Meta, I suppose last year, I guess we should strictly say, by which I also mean sort of last month or last week, the market has taken news of layoffs fairly well, the idea that companies are going to try and quote-unquote right-size their workforce. And I have some sympathy with the idea that this isn't just owning up to a mistake. We were chatting to Paul about this, and he was kind of wondering why mm. people can't get their workforces the right size in the first place. But I wonder whether the right size for a workforce depends on what's going on. If you think about the last couple of years, we've had very low interest rates, everything in growth mode. It made sense to not keep cash around because what's it going to do? Just appreciate against inflation. You go spend it, go acquire customers, because if you don't, someone else is going to do it. Uh, think about something like Teladoc to an extent, like Salesforce to an extent, like Guidewire Software, one that I've mentioned on this show before. What you want to do in that kind of situation is go and get people signed up onto your platform, especially if you're a Salesforce or Guidewire type thing. Once they're in, it's hard for them to get out again. But if you don't grab them, uh, someone else is going to and someone else is going to uh, make it hard to switch out of their kind of platform stuff. So I wonder whether there's something to be said that, look, the right thing to do is when it's go time, go all out and when it's not go time and it's a tighter recessionary thing people are looking more closely at budgets and the spending's less kind of appropriately there dial it all back a bit and that's just the nature of economic cycles and people's kind of jobs and that sort of thing well it's a common trait in american businesses to get rid of people even after you've had a good year because american um workers unfortunately don't have the same kind of protections that we have in the uk one of the traits of american business that people potentially want to see the end of with this sort of move to a more sort of conscious capitalism sort of kind of environment is that what american business used to do is in a really really good year they used to find the worst performing staff and cut them and then obviously go and look for replacements and, and then at the same thing every year and the idea being eventually you end up with loads and loads of you know high high achieving um high sales potentially or high uh, high value staff uh, obviously, in the UK, you'd you'd really never be able to do that because you kind of have to have a reason to let people go. And in America, it doesn't; they, they don't have to give you any reason whatsoever. Just have to give you severance and send you on your way. Um, but that is that is um, the sort of the cutthroat way of American business. Um, America, obviously, long fame for being the, probably the the most embracer, or if that's a word, the most. The, the most capitalist country ever, I would probably say. They don't have an awful lot of, like, like we do. We have a socialist NHS or a socialist mm -hmm. system, but they don't have any of that kind of, any of that kind of system. They have embraced capitalism the most. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not shocked to see these kind of figures.
No, you sort of can do that in this country. You just can't employ anybody like that. You can find a bunch of contractors if you're a kind of uh, editorial writing service or something like that and hire them by sign-ups and eventually just kind of keep cutting away your bottom end of things. That's a way you can employ something like that. But you're right, it is harder to it's harder to hire and harder to fire basically in this country because once you've got people in you are then pretty much required to kind of keep them which makes it makes it harder to get rid of them it also makes it something to think about before you sign them up in the first place as employees i always wonder a little bit what we should think about this is uh, remind me steve you own salesforce or not at the moment i do yep yep so as salesforce and amazon in your case and amazon in my case shareholders i feel like this jobs report and this kind of news out of these two is is probably good for both of us. If we think about in a kind of Amazon perspective for the moment, what do I want? Do I want lower jobs or higher jobs, basically? Do I want more people spending or less people spending? Well, from the perspective of Amazon having kind of overrun a bit or something like that and inflation needing to come down, I probably want fewer people spending. But since the place they're likely to less spend, or lower spending in general, is likely to be a bad thing for Amazon, I suspect I probably want a strongish jobs report. So Amazon itself right-sizing its workforce, while the workforce in general, broadly across the US, looking quite strong, I think is probably quite a nice best of both worlds for us, just for this little bit of time anyway. Yeah, I think for both of us, it's a bottom line story. I think that's why, the, at least in the short term, you should be bullish about these things are. Uh, Amazon and Salesforce are two companies, and I suppose Meta to that kind of degree, that have paid quite a lot out in stock-based compensation and, you know, are either making moves to or have made moves to in the past try and mitigate that by you know essentially burning the cash into buying back stock you know which is not that great when you're still handing it out like sweets uh, and all of these are you know all of these things that there, there are a lot of people leaving these businesses eleven thousand at meta eighteen thousand at amazon uh, i think it's eight thousand or ten thousand at salesforce but another ten percent announced today as well that's uh at the slack headcount um these are all people that will be earning stock-based compensation. These are all people that will now not be earning stock-based compensation. So I, I really hate always just wear the you know the investor hat only. But on this occasion, wearing the investor hat, I think these are these are just bullish bullish things for us, really. Yeah, in the case of Meta, you and I were on JKR Investing's channel about a week and a half ago. Not quite sure when this show is actually going out, but. Around a week and a half ago, we were talking about Meta, where I was, and I was saying there's layoffs coming in Meta. The market seems to have taken them quite well, probably because they're spending quite a lot of money at the mm. moment flinging cash into this Metaverse thing if they're right-sizing that. I don't know that they are. I know that they're letting people go. I'm hoping they're doing it out of a, a kind of unprofitable Metaverse end of things and that this is going to be positive for stock-based comp and so on. I haven't actually seen any details to support that idea yet that people either either know better than me or are assuming that's kind of happening but but hopefully this should be good uh from all of these across the kind of board i don't know as i've heard anything out of alphabet yet on layoffs um but i was talking as though talent is a well he wasn't talking as though he was saying talent is a very important resource to alphabet they will do everything they can to hang on to it i think he's probably correct about that but there's only so much of it you can justify keeping around and i suspect if you asked andy jassy if you asked uh mark benioff they would say talent's a very important resource that's why we're constantly flinging a stock-based comp out the window all over the place but we need to get ourselves into the right kind of shape for the environment that we find ourselves in and that will be true at alphabet as well as it will at amazon yeah the well the only thing i've heard out of um 
Google CEO is that they're they're basically stopping hiring for now. There's a there's mm. a temporary freeze while they assess the situation. So um, that that in itself for Google is is a right sizing uh, of its of its hiring because they hire at such a rapid pace. Um, for them to not start hiring with the amount of projects that they do have on is is probably somewhat of a right sizing. But uh, well, so long as they keep introducing uh, projects. But I guess to take the opposite side of that argument. I guess Zuckerberg and and Benioff and Jassy would tell you, look, we're not getting rid of the best people. You know what I mean? We're not. The, mm. you, you wouldn't go down the list of people and and get choose to get rid of the guy who's performing the absolute best, would you? So um, maybe this is just you know as cruel as it sounds in my head, just trimming the fat a little bit. Yep. Uh, at times like this, they kind of come under pressure a little bit towards thinking about exactly what are they producing. It's the same with everyone else, I guess. Meta, Alphabet, so on. Think about advertising budgets, and they're getting they're coming under pressure to to justify their existence. Well, you can measure this as well, though, as an investor. Uh, you can measure this by as revenue per head. So mm. if you take the amount of revenue and you take the headcount, um, you can divide one by the other, and you will get a metric. You can then compare that metric over time, and you will see whether the company is actually generating more, you know, more revenue per, per headcount. So you would generally not want that number to be going down. You want that number to be going up. Um, so yeah, that is one one of the things as an investor that you can do, and it's one of those metrics that's useful to keep your eye on. Actually, wondering how that would do if we ran that on Google, Steve. That might be an interesting exercise. Wonder. That might be an interesting exercise. Let's keep that one in the, the pipeline for maybe next week because it's not the start of earnings until next Friday from what I think of it. And we record hmm. these usually on <clears throat> either a Wednesday or a Thursday. So that might be one that we look to have a, a bit of a, a look into, I guess. Sure. But New Year, same old us in some ways, but in other ways, new things. Steve and I have been thinking about kind of New Year's resolutions here and things that we want to try and achieve or do or get better at. Not necessarily from an investing perspective, but in some cases they might be financial. Uh, we've been looking at some other people's YouTube videos. Boss Hog had a really good one where he talked about things that he wants to achieve. He has a lot he wants to achieve in 2023. Hmm. I would like to complete one rep of anything on a bench press for what it's worth. That's mainly my ambition. Uh, but it got us thinking about the things that we want to uh, kind of do and try and be and help achieve and so on. So, Steve, do you want to go first or shall I go first on this? Uh, you go first. Okay. So here's my kind of New Year's resolution ambition thing. Uh, a little bit of background for the moment then for people who either don't listen very carefully to this show or have just arrived or find the stuff I say boring and skip over it. Any of those is perfectly justifiable. Steve has been putting me onto something called Blinkist recently where you can listen to what I think are probably decent summaries of books in about 20 minutes or so boiled down into what they consider to be the key kind of points that might be sort of between about four and ten for each of these. Uh, and I was listening to one called the 5am club AM club by a guy called Robin Sharma. And what this was about, it's about kind of productivity and being efficient and getting things done. And I was thinking about my year and one of the kind of main features that I'm going to have to figure out this year is how I'm going to get anything at all done with a small baby, a wife, moving house, all these kinds of things. And I think the key to getting anything efficient done either at work or for the podcast or for any of the other kind of side projects that I work on and want to put time into is I'm going to have to join this thing called the 5am club, which is where you get up at 5am and when everything is quiet and there's no one around bothering you, you basically try and get something done. 
it's uh, whatever's important to you. It, they recommend starting with some exercise uh, for what it's worth. I'm unlikely to do that because exercise isn't so important to me. But my hope is to try and get up at around 5 a.m., uh, get a good hour of something positive in. So not looking at social media, uh, not reading stuff on Twitter, not checking out boring uh, the sports news or anything like that, anything kind of insignificant, but something important either to my work or to this show or to the stuff I do uh, on the side for um, being productive, basically. And then after that, the rest of the day will go the way it goes. I'll do the best I can to hang in there while balancing all the other kind of commitments I have. Uh, I'm a, uh, I want to say realistic, maybe pessimistic, maybe, maybe not entirely optimistic human. So I'm not going to do this every day for what it's worth. I've already blown that because I haven't got up at 5am at all. Uh, and it's January the 5th, but I am planning on trying to do it for a hundred days. So I'm going to get a hundred lots of good one hour shoves in and see what that can do for my productivity slash ability to produce anything at all. It's kind of connected to the Charlie Munger idea of paying yourself first, I guess. Take the first hour of the day for yourself and then the rest of the world and people who want to bother you with emails or uh, land in your DMs like Steve uh, and so on can... Um, Steve won't be up at 5am, so there's no way I'm spending that time on him. Uh, can it can take over your uh, the rest of your day and you can spend it doing those usual things. But I'm going to try and find that hour 100 times this year to get something good and productive done. I will update you as to how it goes in three months' time when I've achieved two of them. Not only will I not be in your DMs at 5am, I didn't even realise there was another five in the day. Mm. Uh, well, there isn't where you're from, it's dark then. <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> it's really dark. No, I did, to be fair, I did have a think about getting up at 6am, uh, mm -hmm. starting to get up at 6am, for the same reason. I, I'd not actually w listened to that blink, because it must have been one of the days I, I missed it. Um, but yeah, that's interesting that that's, a, uh, that's an actual thing. It's uh, it's not one of the ones that's been a kind of free day one so far. Uh. I signed up for a trial and then cancelled it again, but I had a good raid, raid through some different things. And actually what I found was that towards the end of last year, in a sort of month or so, I probably got through most of the blinks that I wanted to get through mm. because I'm not sure there were more than 30 that I really wanted to hear summaries of. And they're, they're really quite addicting, by the way. I really recommend trying out Blinkist if anyone was thinking about it or hasn't heard of it. It's... I think they're very good. Uh, the reason I say I think is I haven't actually read all of these books I've been listening to summaries of, so I can't actually tell you that they're they're super accurate because I've checked the, the books themselves. But I found them really, really interesting. I've been thinking about things in kind of more and interesting ways than I would have done before, and I I thought the 5am club was, was quite a nice listen, actually. Yeah, I think that's the kind of... The, just to give a, a quick overview of what they do, they basically take a book and distill it down into sort of, well, anything between sort of three and sort of 15 to 20 minutes, I think, is kind of is kind of the best description. So they try and get the juice, the main juice out of the book and present it to you uh, as efficiently as they can um, with, with, with the suitable stories that go with it. And, um, you know, it's then your choice to go and buy the book and, and read on from that point. So they've had some really good books on like Atomic Habits uh, mm. by James Clear was on there quite early on and uh, Quit by Annie Duke was on there, as was Thinking in Bets as well, which are both books that I would probably prefer to have read on Blinkist or have read to me on Blinkist than actually read myself. Um, but I'll jump on quickly to what mine was. So mm -hmm. I read a lot anyway. Last year I kind of set myself a task to read all of the basic books to kind of like re-solve. It was two reasons really, to find out if there was anything really basic that I'm not doing that I should be doing or you know if any of the basic books have any kind of um, 
real like bit of secret sauce in them that the other ones don't. And the other reason was I was on a bit of a quest to just find what is the best book to recommend to my friends when they find out eventually that I'm doing this podcast because I'm a world superstar and I'm on Letterman. Um, and I actually found out that I read uh, 30-something books last year and I found out that the uh, Psychology of Money, which was like one of the first I, I think I, I actually read properly it's probably the best one so that was a thorough waste of my time so this year i'm gonna read and this isn't my new year's resolution i'm just telling you why it isn't my new year's resolution i'm gonna read 15 good books i'm not gonna mess around trying to read as many as as possible um i'm just gonna read 15 uh you know maybe more depending on how i get to but i'm aiming to read 15 books that i'm really interested in uh that's not my goal my also thought about perhaps uh, doing more steps, uh, COVID and Christmas was not particularly kind to me. Uh, after finding six Tony's Chuckle Only wrappers in my uh, man cave when I cleaned it out, um, that's. Uh, but steps is boring. I think I'm just. I'm never going to do that. I, like I, I ain't set foot in a gym in about fifteen years, and I don't think I've got any intention to. Do and to be honest with you, I'm saying fifteen, and it's one of those things. Where you can hang on a second. I'm thirty-five now. It might be twenty. <laughs> But um, So my actual New Year's resolution is, and it's as boring as ever, is just to fill my acer again. And the reason it's on this list and it's not like a formality like it has been the last couple of years is that we've got a lot going on next year. And it's going to be quite an expensive year for us as well as uh, all the bills and what have you. I don't think they'll t make a massive dent in our uh, actual saving spending. They'll come out of what's left on the other side of it. But um, I think I can figure out in my head how I'm going to get to about halfway uh but on top of um to get to get the rest of the way it means i'm gonna have to work pretty hard at work uh um, because we get two two bonuses one based on our sales and one based on the overall sales of the whole team so we get a team bonus and individual bonus um the individual bonus is uncapped so essentially so long as i like absolutely work my nuts off um mm -hmm. i can get a pretty decent uh, a pretty decent bonus out of that so uh, I did about uh, three quarters of a million of sales last year, um, and uh, I probably need to double that to, uh, to to get a decent bonus of it. So my New Year's resolution has a little bit of, uh, you know... Three quarters of a million of sales, looking to try and do more than that. Is that going to be tough in the kind of economic climate? I mean, you know, people know your industry, or, or no, sorry, what industry you're in. It feels like it's on a slight downswing, or no? Yeah, it's almost definitely on a on a big downswing. But the mm -hmm. difference is that there's still work out there for me to be busy every day. I'm I make no bones about it. I'm not the hardest working person in the world. Uh, today I got a little bit bored and made the Boss Hog uh, YouTube channel uh, a logo by feeding data into an AI algorithm rather than doing my actual job. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm not the hardest working person in the world. Uh, but I do because I the, the size of the projects I get involved in, I can basically get a month's budget in a day's work and then it's all about you know smartening out from that period onwards but mm. the idea being that i will try and work a bit harder and be a bit more dedicated and uh you know uh, i'll churn out obviously some better results hopefully i think the ISA is always a good ambition to have for a year i think i mean it's you know something that we kind of want to do when does it ever hurt to kind of fill your ISA? it might be there are good years and better years for doing these sorts of things but I think it's always a good thing to aim to do. I didn't put it as mine this time, but I probably could have. I'm also kind of slightly wary about my ability to do it. We're nowhere near the, I say nowhere near, we're about a quarter away from the 
new financial year. That's not till April. But I've filled this year's and I'm trying to get ahead a little bit because I'm conscious that I filled my ISA this time sort of by not cheating, but by doing a bunch of things that are not repeatable, like selling stuff that I own. I've sold a load of books, which I now don't have, can't sell them again, basically, and they won't be contributing to next year's ISA deposit. So it's going to be an interesting one for that. And I also can't easily work harder and push things. I mean, I could easily work harder, but I don't obviously get paid more if I work harder, which is uh, so a slightly different kind of... I'm not on a bonus system, basically, is what I'm hmm. thinking there. So, yeah, always an interesting one to have. Uh, the Psychology of Money, by the way, also on Blinkist, uh, if anyone's interested in trying out the trial there. I imagine I should have some sort of referral link for this. Which Yeah, not sponsored. Uh, no, we're, not, we're mm. definitely not sponsored. Uh, if I find one, I'll put one in the show notes after this, but no promises that I will. Have a look down below if you're interested in trying out a free trial for Blinkist. There may or may not be anything there. Uh, but do tell us what your New Year's resolutions are, if you've got any that you're hoping to try and achieve or uh, stick to. Our man Sam Late is working his way through his financial planner stuff. Good luck to him. Uh, and let's all try and achieve things together, like a sort of proper personal financing YouTube thing where you can chart our journey. I'll I'll produce a graph of the number of days this month I've got up before uh, five o'clock, and Steve will show you an ISA tracker. There we are. Yeah, Red actually posted something in the Discord. It might be nice to read this from Atomic Habits. So, mm -hmm. uh, he's got a quite famous quote, and it says, Nothing sustains motivation better than belonging to a tribe. It transforms a personal quest into a shared one. Mm. There you go. Invest along with the Steves and mm. Paul when he's here. And the occasional Paul. Yeah, Paul's resolution is to turn up to at least five podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but for the rest of our show anyway, we were thinking about some sort of things, a new year, new us, new investing perhaps, and our kind of advice to, to new investors or what that would be. It feels like there's never been a better time to start investing. Share prices have been coming down over 2022, and we kind of think there are some bargains out there right now. We talked a little bit about what we think might do especially well last time out, but we were thinking, for those people who are kind of thinking, well okay, now's the time, New Year, let's get started with some investing because there are quite a few people in that sort of camp. What would we kind of say is nice, simple, straightforward advice? We've got three each here. Um, Steve, what's your first bit of advice for new investors? So I guess we're kind of following on from what we just talk, talked about earlier. And I think my first piece of advice would be there's a lot of kind of hobbies. And, and I think investing is somewhat a hobby. Uh, looking into companies and keeping up with them is, uh, yeah, I know it's important for your financial life, but you know you have to be interested in it to uh, to, to do stock picking. Uh, and but there's a lot of hobbies that you can just dive into. You know, like there's if you want to go out and play football, I probably wouldn't recommend you read a book on football. I recommend you you know you get a football and start kicking it about. But I don't think investing is that kind of that kind of hobby. I would encourage people to read first to get a grasp of the market to understand how markets work. And to understand why people invest in the first place, maybe the history of the S&P and how it how it does. And uh, I think that's all really well summarized in The Psychology of Money, which is a, another plug for, for Morgan's book. Um, I think that's probably the book now that I would say to people is the one that you should start with. Um, and yeah, I just think don't dive in. Even though prices are, are good, I, I think we're all of the opinion that these prices will either improve or at least stay the same. I don't think this is going to be a quick burn up like we saw in the, uh, you know, in the COVID um, aftermath. Um, so I think you've got time on your side and I would think to get yourself comfortable first before you jump in. 
uh, would probably be my first piece of advice to new investors. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for getting comfortable. That's connected to my second idea for what it's worth. But my first one was to keep this sort of stuff in proportion and in perspective. So thinking about how you invest, you can spend ages and we do on this show working out what stocks you want to buy, what stocks you want to have at any given moment. And uh, you can go on and on and on like this. But realistically, investing is only a small part of your kind of broad financial outlook and uh, situation and personal um, setup. So it's absolutely fine to be interested in this stuff and pay attention to it and take it very seriously because it is serious, right? It's money that is been earned or earned by someone uh, and needs to be looked after and you're doing this because you want to do well. But making a decision to be invested, I guess, is the most important thing rather than the specifics of where you get invested. And it's far more important to have the balance right between things like your savings, your spending, your investing, than it is to be invested in sort of specifically the right stocks or the right places, I think. So, so taking this seriously, but not letting this, uh, staring intently at this one tiny tree and losing sight of the entire forest is, I guess, my first kind of bit of advice. Yeah, interesting. So, um, my second sort of piece of advice I would give uh, to people is it, a broader one. In the last couple of years, we've had um, kind of a number of get-rich-quick kind of weird uh, schemes that only seem to happen in a bull market. I'm thinking about crypto, but I'm thinking about yield farming and uh, penny stocks and, you know, especially like small Chinese stocks that seem to be IPOing and then going up like 50,000% and... I think my first piece of advice to somebody would be, like, even if you've only got a small amount of capital, I wouldn't think going into penny stocks is the right thing to do. Even if you're planning on starting with 20 quid and you think, you know, I, I need to have a lot of shares of a company, to, that's not how it works. Um, you really need to get into your mentality that there's absolutely no free lunches in investing. Um, there's no free, free lunches in, in finance. Uh, if somebody's out there touting a stock that is has a tiny market cap the likelihood is is that they've got bags they want to dump it on you they want to sell it at a decent price they're literally going to use you to get that price up and it becomes a bit of a greater fool um theory which is essentially people keep selling worthless tap to the person who'll pay the most until somebody won't pay anymore um so that would be my first piece of advice would be to oh, first yeah, first advice for new investors would be to keep uh, keep keep your head in the sort of mentality of getting rich slowly. Um, I know it's uh, it, everybody wants to get rich fast, but unfortunately, the people who try to get rich fast often just get poor fast. Um, so I would look to uh, just to avoid penny stocks and, and and go about it the right way. There's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of risk alongside your inside alongside a balanced portfolio, but you don't want to be putting your whole portfolio into something and, and losing it all. That is a surefire way to to stop investing and ha have ill thoughts about investing uh, when you know this is pretty much your fault and and not investing's fault. Yep, seems about right to me. My second one is perhaps perhaps characteristic of someone like me. So for my day job, for those of you who know, I teach philosophy at the university. And my second kind of bit of advice for 
investors is to try and figure out what your kind of investing philosophy is, which is to try, which is to say, try and figure out how you plan to make money. And that can come in a number of different ways because lots of stock market participants believe in lots of different things and none of them is intrinsically disreputable from what I can see of it. It's just that they all think about things in, uh, differently. So I think about someone like Brian Feroldi, who has a load of graphs and charts and stuff that indicate that, look, the companies that go up the most over time are the ones that grow their revenue the most. And that's pretty much the biggest correlation you can find between stock prices and some sort of fundamental. What drives stock prices is revenue growth. You can think he's right about that, wrong about that, but that's what he thinks, and he invests on that basis. You can think about someone like Warren Buffett, who thinks it's about cash flow relative to current price. You can think about people like Paul, not to necessarily put him in the same bracket as those who thinks that the only real investing comes from getting cash out of a company by dividends or maybe a buyback. I hope I'm not distorting his view too much there, but certainly he puts a heavy emphasis on dividends rather than revenue growth. Which of those is the right way to think about investing? None of them and all of them, from what I can see of it. What, what matters as an investor is that you have a theory that you think works for you. Because if you have something that you understand and you think, look, this is my way I'm going to make money in this stock market, to be honest, even if it's trading, I don't mind too much. If you really think that, look, I've got convincing evidence, really, really compelling stuff to say that this chart looks like this, therefore this stock is going up, down or somewhere else, Okay, just make sure that's what you believe in. And then when you've got your kind of philosophy here, make sure you stick to it because it depends a little bit on temperament. Demodoran was saying that if you try and invest like Warren Buffett and you're not Warren Buffett, it's going to go wrong because you're not going to be patient enough. If you try and invest like Brian Feroldi and you're not Brian Feroldi, you're going to get shaken out of things when your stocks come down an awful long way, as they have done over the last year. You will think... But look at all this revenue growth. How come my stock got cut in half? Uh, that will happen and you will need to understand why that's happening and you need to really believe in the process that you have. So getting a process and a philosophy, which is to say theory of how the stock market works and how investing works, is my kind of second bit of advice. That might take time, but it's worth taking that time because otherwise you will just be bouncing around buying and selling things at the wrong time from what I can see of it. I've always kind of tri uh, attributed that um, thought to um, circle of competence. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like a broader circle of competence. So staying within your circle of competence, uh, you know, are the businesses that you can, you know, and can understand is is one part of that advice. But the second part mm -hmm. is is again to stay within your, you know, your mentality. You stay within your circle of competence. If your circle of competence is buying things and holding them forever. Then that's the best thing. That's the thing. The best thing to do. If you've got the temperament to do that, you'll probably beat us all. Mm. Uh, so my last bit is, and again, I, I think I feel like I've probably gone for the boring ones, but I'm going to top it off with a third boring one, and it really is about getting your uh, emergency fund in order. I would say at least three months uh, of household expenses plus probably discretionary spending before you start uh, investing. Um, probably aiming to increase that to six months. I'm in the Housel camp where I also think six months probably isn't enough and will continue to put cash away uh, indefinitely um, uh, as, as a hedge against the market because I don't really care about uh, 
the total return. I'm not looking for the highest return possible. I am looking for a return for my money, but I'm also looking to do it in a safe, uh, secure way that helps me sleep at night as well. So, um, Housel uh, says he basically keeps putting away every month. I started doing that after reading The Psychology of Money, a portion of my uh, money, even though we're already at six months, still goes, gets, gets put away and, and left in cash. Appreciate that isn't, uh, the best way of doing things, but it's, it's about what keeps you interested and keeps you motivated and, uh, keeps you, uh, you know, it does, it lets you have a good night's sleep essentially. So, um, that's one of the things I would do. And there's plenty of good places to put your money away at the moment. Steve first direct with a 7% account now. It's gone up again. Mm. I think you can put £300 a month into that. If you were looking to build an emergency fund, that would be a, a really, really good place to do it. Um, premium bonds now paying out three on average about 3.05% as well. So um, that's that's pretty good. Still haven't won, Steve. Six months, still not won. Um, but I'm sure I will do one of these days. But anything you want to add to emergency funds, Steve? I find emergency funds interesting. I They're kind of disappointing or disheartening for new investors in a sense, right? If you sort of see them sat there not really doing anything, I suspect that's easier, by the way, when stock prices are going down and you're, mm. you look at your, your investing screen and think, well, I, I'd quite like them to be actually pretty level at the moment and have no prospect of going down. But I kind of think I also go around the six-month mark for what it's worth. My emergency fund is currently more than six months' worth of household expenses, only just, but that leads me to wonder... Well, okay, so maybe I have an emergency and I need to use part of it. At what point would I want to start topping it up as a point of urgency rather than just ticking it over like I'm currently doing? And I think the answer is if it fell below my estimate of um, household expenses for six months, basically, I would then start thinking, okay, time to rebuild that emergency fund as a matter of priority rather than what I'm currently doing, which is just putting more and more and more in gradually, gradually, gradually. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm sort of with you on the, the six month bit. I would probably try and get to six if I could before I started investing. Although I can see that I can see the upside to doing it with three. Uh, it's, I feel like seeing, seeing it sitting there makes me feel, as you say, it's a sleep at night thing, but it makes me feel quite pleased about things. I sort of think, okay, now I feel kind of bulletproof here in a, or at least more bulletproof than I would otherwise. Right. That's the idea, and I think we, we're experiencing it now where we're seeing that there, there's always a reason that markets go down. It's very rare that they just slip 20% because no, for no reason whatsoever. In the UK, we're experiencing, obviously, this huge squeeze in energy bills, inflation, blah, 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 and, and it's not affecting me in a way that I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to sell some stock. I'm going to have to sell some stock to pay my gas bill You know, this month. If, if West came to West, you know, I would have to sell some premium bonds, which, you know... That's, it's not really a problem for me considering it's I haven't for six months. So <laughs> it's, it's not going to affect me in any way, shape or form. Yep. So that's the idea of an emergency fund. It, it isn't necessarily that you would, um, you would have to, you know, you, you, you're anticipating emergency. It's that if an emergency does happen, you don't have to sell your stocks at the worst possible point to realize some cash and get yourself out of a hole. Uh, and that is probably invaluable. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I've been thinking about recently where I've been thinking about stocks and investing and actually mortgages and house prices, I've been thinking that when we look at companies that we're wanting to buy, we look at their balance sheet and we like to see their balance sheet is strong. We don't like to see huge amounts of debt on them or more debt than 
we think can be generated in cash and so on. And it feels to me like, what is the point of buying a company that has a strong balance sheet if your own personal one is a mess because you haven't got enough cash on it, basically? Sooner or later, that just means that you've got yourself into a tangle and the company you own is in a good shape. But that seems about as risky as buying a company, having your own personal balance sheet be strong and buying a company with a terrible one. It feels like turning your own one into a weakness to buy something with a strength doesn't seem to me to be a particularly smart idea. Yeah, and you've got to remember as well, um, during the, the bull run and the low interest rates, there was a couple of YouTubers who remain unnamed who reckoned that emergency funds were essentially a drag on returns. Now, whilst that is true, uh, they were claiming that you could take debt out instead, obviously because debt back then was super cheap should you need it. The unfortunate thing is now the, that the, the, the crap has hit the fans. Um, debt isn't cheap anymore, and some people will have followed that um, advice. And chucked money into the market which you know which is probably now 70 percent less than it was uh probably because they're tesla shareholders and um uh, and yeah now they're sort of like in a they could potentially be in a pretty a pretty rough place so that's why i ignore that kind of that kind of rhetoric really and i'm more interested in keeping my emergency fund essentially where it is yeah, here is my third bit of advice. It's also on the subject of useless things that other people offer. Um, I won't mention any YouTubers either, but I could. Uh, and I could also mention people on Instagram and so on. But here's something that I think that new investors ought to be very careful of. It's people and systems and styles of investing and approaches and usually things that are paid for in this situation, but they don't have to be. They're equally bad if they're free where what you do more or less is read off eight to ten numbers from some company's financial statements, plug them all into a thing, and then it tells you whether or not something is a buy. Um, that is a pretty horrific way of going about investing from what I can see of it. Uh, so here's a quote from Charlie Munger. Uh, it says, when you're trying to determine something like intrinsic value and margin of safety and so on, there's no one easy method that could be simply mechanically applied by, say, a computer and make anybody who could punch the buttons rich. Uh, I love this quote for what it's worth because it kind of infuriates me when people just say, look at this number, look at this number, look at this number, look at this number. This number is bigger than this number and this number is higher than that number and this number over that number is less than two. So this stock is a buy. Uh, I'm not saying those are not part of the story, by the way. You absolutely want to pay attention to a whole bunch of numbers when you invest. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you which ones you should or shouldn't look at. It's entirely up to you to figure it out. See part two of my kind of advice. But what I do think is that you should be extremely wary of anyone who says, yeah, look at these numbers, therefore the thing is a buy. This can lead you into all kinds of things. It can, meet, it can lead you into buying companies that have just had sudden changes in their future. It can lead you into companies that are um, have been struggling before. It can lead you into basically cyclicality issues because if you look at what's been going on recently and have no sense of what a company does or why it specifically is going to do well in the future and why those numbers are going to go up, down or sideways looking ahead, um, that's going to go wrong as often as it goes right and you're not going to understand why because your wonderful formula which just said but this number and this number and this number uh, isn't going to provide you with any kind of answers or any kind of understanding. It will work some of the time. Anything will work some of the time. Chucking darts at the S&P 500 will work some of the time. Will it work often or reliably or anything like that? Not by itself, it won't. Uh, not saying this isn't part of the story. You absolutely want to be attentive to some numbers here. But you really need to understand companies, how they work, what it is about them in 
qualitative terms that justifies these numbers that you're sticking in, uh, in some cases, and not just because it's a little number. Yeah, and we've had this conversation before, Steve. We There's, there's a couple of times we've looked at things like um, discount cash flow um, calculations, which are on fancy websites, and we thought that potentially people are putting in the wrong numbers, and they're putting in the wrong numbers to spit out a wrong number at the bottom because it's kind of a... Um, I guess it's a bit of a circle jerk between the watchers and the uh, and the and the host to say, look at how wildly overvalued it is. I've put these numbers in, and they're completely uh, completely uh, right. And look, even if I change the numbers and leave the PE at six, it still comes out really, 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 really uh, less than what the share price is. And and some of those people feel vindicated at the moment because share prices are coming down, but they're not coming down for the reasons that <laughs> they're saying because sales are still pretty strong on some of these companies but i sent you a bit of information from quarter steve um a couple of days ago just mm. with some 15 year revenue growth on there yep and that was really interesting to this sort of broader uh, discussion um and we were looking at companies that have grown at an sort of exponential rates for 15 years which you almost never see in these discount cash flow um calculators they always kind of tail off after 10 uh, and, you know, some of them, they only have five years of, of growth. But I was looking at companies like Dexcom. For 15 years, Steve, it has grown at an average of 53% on the top line. But it's not just things like Dexcom. CRM has grown, which is Salesforce, has grown at 28%. Amazon has grown at 27%. This is 15 years of growth. LSEG, uh, London Stock Exchange Group, has grown at 24%. Google at 21%. Intercontinental Exchanges, which is the, that's the NASDAQ, uh, that's the uh, NYSE, isn't it, yep. if I remember correctly. Uh, that's 21%. Apple at 20%. Uh, Illumina, which is a stock that we both liked a couple of years ago, I think, has grown at 19%. These are incredibly fast uh, revenue growth rates. So I only wanted to add this in, and, and I'm sorry, I've kind of blindsided Steve with this because I didn't tell him that we talk about this beforehand. But this just proves to you that even when you put in conservative numbers into uh, a spreadsheet and say that it has a terminal value of uh, you know an indefinite growth of 2% from that point onwards, excellent companies grow at excellent rates for very very long periods of time uh, and that's what i would sort of like add on to your bit is that get yourself a discount cash flow calculator and by all means have a play with it but you've got to make sure you're putting the right numbers in because you could miss the opportunity of a lifetime yeah do it properly basically is what we're uh, suggesting here i guess if you're going to write estimates for things then make sure they're actual estimates so just be clear about what estimating here means it means guessing at something and guessing is an activity that succeeds when it's accurate not when it's under something so if steve and i stand next to a motorway and watch a load of cars come past and he estimates that there were 74 cars and i estimate that there were 100 cars uh, his isn't more right because his number is lower uh, it depends on how many cars there actually were that came past. If there were 98 cars coming past, my estimate is better because it's closer. If there were 76 cars, then his estimate is better because it's closer. Better estimates aren't always lower estimates. And it's easy to get suckered into thinking, well, look, I need this thing called a margin of safety. Therefore, uh, my actual estimate is this. Therefore, I'm going to write a number that's half that for no reason other than a margin of safety uh, in some fashion. That's not what a margin of safety is. So one thing to get clear on before you go about thinking in these kind of things. 
Yeah, and you've also got to be careful if you're taking a growth rate that's existed for a long period of time and you're adding maybe maybe you put half of that growth rate in to be conservative and then adding a margin of safety at the end of that. What you've essentially done is built in two margins of safety. You haven't got your original 10% margin of safety. You've got 50% at the beginning and 10% at the end. So what you're building in there, you'll probably end up with a number that you'll think, whoa, it's nowhere near that. But that is, uh, uh, that is kind of how these discount cash flow... Um, uh, calculators work. They're they're oversimplified to the point where they're almost useless unless you can find a way of getting accurate numbers into it. And that brings us back to kind of what this bit of advice was really. So it's not a case of investing is about writing implausibly low numbers and then complaining everything is overvalued. Take it seriously, do it properly, right? It's not just about um, trying to convince yourself that something is overpriced and then claiming you don't understand it. If you really don't understand a stock, that is absolutely fine. And there are stocks that it's perfectly possible that a stock is glaringly overpriced. Steve and I can tell you ones that we think are overpriced right now. But uh, things aren't overpriced because you deliberately wrote the wrong numbers into a spreadsheet and then a number came out lower than the share price. Uh, so be careful of anything kind of leading you in that sort of direction. That's a long way further down the line for anyone trying to start out picking uh, stocks or anything like that. But it's something to be aware of, and it's something I've noticed a fair bit lately. And I suspect it's something we're going to see quite a lot more of in 2023, if I'm right in thinking that there's going to be a recession and that growth stocks are going to struggle. Okay, that's our show for this week. Uh, just me and Steve this time. We're looking forward to seeing you next time. Do let us know what your New Year's resolutions, ambitions are, and anything you've found down the back of your sofa in the last uh, few weeks or so if you've been moving such a thing around. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time.